Hey, God, thanks so much for your word. Thanks for this great Sunday uh, to, to be able to go out and do something that is so tangible. I mean, in five hours, God, we're going to be doing, doing more than the rest of our community is able to accomplish in like five months of food raising. Uh, we're going to see, God, our, our food pantries filled. These 34 churches that are partnering with us uh, to see, you know, uh, hunger de- decreased in our community. We're so grateful for them. We're grateful for the partner ministries that, uh, you know, we're going to be sending uh, this food to and their work in our, our, our community to spread the gospel and to feed the, the hungry. Uh, Lord, we want to ask, just ask your blessing on this day and all who would be partaking in it. I pray it's a great day for us to train our, our young, youngins and that they would see uh, service come to life as they fill the baskets uh, that are going to be put on the trucks. So, Lord, I, uh, I just ask your blessing over the, uh, the, the machinations of Feed the Bay and all of those who worked hard to make it happen. And I ask God the same blessing over the sermon. And as we talk about the things that you want us to to be as Christ followers, these are the attitudes you want us to have, the mindsets you want us to live in. Uh, Lord, lead us to these things. Help us to stay grounded in these things uh, so that uh, we can honor you as, as members of the kingdom. As always, get me out of the way, God. Speak in my place. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I've really been enjoying uh, studying the book of Luke with you all and, and just see, finding out who Jesus is. Today we're going to find out that Jesus is the giver of good and bad news. Has anybody ever had a conversation with someone? I got some good news. I got some bad news. Anybody got that one? What do you always ask for first? Bad, bad news because you want to finish with the good, right? That's a very American uh, mindset, I think, probably. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, but sometimes good news is kind of coupled with bad news. And what we're going to see today is Jesus teach about uh, some good news. In fact, the good news is the, the good news of how you can be a part of his kingdom. And he's going to kind of un- unpack that for us in a sermon that he preached a couple thousand years ago. But he's also going to give a warning with his good news. He's going to say, blessed are you, but woe to you if you fail to heed, uh, you know, my teachings. Um, I've just enjoyed uh, walking through uh, this whole period of Jesus' life as he starts his ministry. We saw him in his synagogue in Nazareth in chapter 4 of Luke get up and read a scroll from Isaiah, and he said, uh, I, am, I am here to bring good news to the poor. Remember that? I'm here to, uh, to, to preach about uh, the emancipation of those who are in captivity, to bring freedom to those who are incarcerated. To, I'm going to bring sight to the blind. I'm going to help those who are oppressed. I'm going to bring about the year of our Lord. I'm here to preach that. When he talked about the year of our Lord, everybody in, in Israel would have thought, oh, that's the year of Jubilee. That's this year where all the debts are forgiven, where grace is just lavished on a nation. And Jesus is agreeing with Isaiah. That's me. He says that as much uh, in, in Nazareth. They didn't like it. Uh, they sought to do him harm. Uh, but that's how he got this ball rolling. And so that's what he's been doing. If you've been, if you've been coming back week for week, you know that, that he's been preaching good news to the poor. He's been uh, setting people key, uh, setting captives free, people who are trapped by disease, trapped by demonic oppression, uh, demonic possession. They, they've been trapped in so many different ways. He's healing them and he's, he's casting out demons. He's, he's teaching them with authority. That Everybody's like, what? Who, who is this guy? He's saying things that we've never heard said before. He's got himself quite a following, and, and I'm not going to preach these verses today, but if we had kind of proceeded from where we left off last week, he was healing a guy who had a withered hand on the Sabbath. Remember that? If, if we just went, you know, verse by verse, we'd get to the verses where he, he calls his 12 disciples. He actually, you know, says, hey, you're, you're my guys. One, two, three, four, 12, all of you guys come here. And he kind of, I don't know if it was like a knighting thing, if they bent down and, you know, he crawled, I don't know. But, but he said, you're my guys. 
The list always starts in the scriptures with, with Simon, who became Peter. The list always ends in the scriptures with uh, Judas, who became a traitor. <laughs> That's probably a good order of things. Uh, but, uh, but he says, you're my guys. And uh, for the first time, these guys who had been following and certainly had been, you know, blessed to see some amazing things, they understood, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm part of this. Just like you and I as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're not numbered in the original 12, but we're in. We're a, we're a part of this, just like they were. So we kind of pick it up there. He comes down after naming his disciples, uh, and it says he came down with them, the 12, and he stood on a level place. They, they came to this place where, uh, well, a lot of people could congregate, kind of like a clearing or a field, maybe at the foot of a mountain, a foothill or something like that. And uh, uh, it was there that a great a crowd of his disciples joined him in the 12. So, so there was kind of layers to the following of Jesus. There were those who were close in. All right, kind of like your Facebook, you got your real tights, you know, the people that you talk to every day. But then you got all these, you know, periphery Facebook friends. You know, they're there, right? Uh, that's, that's this next crowd that has been following Jesus for a while. But then there's an even larger crowd, all the potential Facebookers that you're not even friends with yet. Uh, they've come also. A great multitude is, is how Luke describes them. There are people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And here they come to this great space, this great clearing, uh, you know, where Jesus can... Well, do his thing. What's he do? Well, we find out that they came to hear him. So he teaches them. We're going to see that in a second. They came to be healed of their diseases. So he heals them. They came because they were troubled with unclean spirits, and they wanted to be cured. And so that's what Jesus did. All of those things. Look what it says. It says, uh, all the crowd sought just to even touch him. For the power came out from him, and he healed them all. Everybody was clamoring, you know, to be healed of their disease, to be healed. set free from the demonic oppression that was happening. Everybody, everybody just wanted to be with Jesus. And in this particular case, he was more than happy to be with them. The healing and the, the, the casting out and all that stuff ends at least at some point, and, and he, he gets them all settled down so that he can teach them. And then Luke kind of just abruptly starts with the things that Jesus says. And this is what we're going to study today. We're going to find out these, these, these first lines of this sermon called the Sermon on the Plains or the Sermon on the Level. Uh, they're the lines that kind of open up for us our understanding of what it takes to gain the kingdom of God. The question we want to answer today then is this. What are the keys that access the kingdom of God? Well, what, what, what must happen in us? What attitudes must we adopt? How must we be, be changed and, and alter who we are so that, so that we can gain access to the kingdom of God. It's a great day to come if you're like kind of first time to church or first time in a long time to church or maybe you never understood church or more specifically the, the gospel of Jesus Christ because he's going to, Jesus in his own words is going to kind of just start real slow and say, all right, here's, here's what it takes. It requires these things. Now, it's really great too if you've always uh, believed that or have believed that for a long time. You've, you've received uh, Jesus Christ by faith. Uh, these, are, these are the markers of how we're supposed to live. These are the attitudes that we live life in now because we are in Christ. This is the Christ life. He's describing it. It's how you start. It's how you live. And we're going to see that they kind of, they work in concert with each other. It's not like, uh, you know, spinning plates where we spin one and then we try to spin the other and then we go back and spin that one. Uh, or, or it's not like keys. I was going to bring out my key ring and show you. It's just, you know, these are the keys that, but the, all the keys on my key ring goes to go to different things. That one's to my house. This one's to my job. This one's to my car. I think the best illustration I can kind of give of these keys is that they're like a combination lock. This came from my actual bike. I have a bike. Haven't ridden it for a while. I'll be honest. 
But if I ever do decide to ride at Glen, I'll be able to lock it up. Isn't that great? Because I got this great combination lock, and everybody knows how a combination lock works, right? You, you kind of, you know, in this one, it's all chain and lock in one, and you, wow, really, motor skills. Uh, <laughs> you put it in there, and then you, and then you just kind of, you, you spin these dials. There's nine numbers on it, and then well, what, what do you need to have? You need to have the combination. If you got the combination, you can line up the numbers. But if you miss just one number, is this going to work? No, right? <laughs> Who's, who's done that online lately? Anybody, anybody ever, like you sign up for something and you forget your password, and then that one day comes where you absolutely have to have this, whatever it is, right now, and you can't remember the password, right? And he's, has anybody done this? Has anybody ever been locked out of a, of, a, of a site because you tried five possible passwords and none of them worked? How frustrating is that? Has anybody thrown a computer? Come on, be honest. Anybody? <laughs> Not for effect, but maybe just, you know. Yeah, it's, it's really important that you have these all of these in sequence together because without one of them, it's not complete. Are you following me? So let's, let's figure out this combination lock to the kingdom. Four things, four numbers, if you want to call it that, that will unlock the kingdom of God. Jesus says this. First uh, number in the combo, recognize your poverty. Everybody say that with me. Recognize your poverty. Some of you are like, what? i got to know that I'm poor? Yeah, well, let me, let me explain in a second. Jesus said this. He says that he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. He's getting ready to teach. Looks them right in the eye, uh, probably principally to the 12. I, I just signed you up. You're in. You're my team. I'm going to tell you right now, this is what it is to live with me, for me. This is how it starts. It's how you do it. Uh, once you've started, this is, this is the Christ life. This is the combination. He looks them right in, and he says, listen, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Yeah, now, some people read that and they've you know, got a literal interpretation of Scripture and they're like, oh, man, I've got to sell everything. I've got I to go live out in the woods. I gotta, because, because God wants the materially poor. In fact, there's been you know, whole movements, the monastic movement. Anybody familiar with that? The, the, the monasteries of, of, of the Middle Ages were kind of predicated on this understanding of this, that, that Jesus... Uh, was was wanting everybody to just be so faith-filled, you know, in following him that we just, we trusted him for every one of our needs and we sold everything and lived in community, uh, just trusted. Now, is that necessarily bad or evil? No. But is that what Jesus is talking about here specifically? Uh, I would tell you again, no. It's In fact, we, we get other parts of, of Jesus' uh, teachings uh, from the other gospels that help us understand what he's saying here. Now, this, this Sermon on the Plain sounds really familiar with another sermon that Jesus teaches in a book called Matthew chapter 5 called the Sermon on the Mount. I refer to it all the time. But in the first part of that sermon, uh, there's a section uh, of about, uh, well, I think there's eight of them. Uh, there's only four here, but there's eight of them in the, in the, in the Beatitudes section of the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and he goes into greater detail there in that sermon. Now, just so we're clear, sometimes there's parallel passages in the Gospels, like Matthew says it this way and Luke says it this way, and it's the same instance. But then, like, when it comes to sermons, anybody think that Jesus probably preached more than one sermon? Yeah, he taught a lot, didn't he? Anybody think he probably had similar themes in his sermons? Yeah, so I, I don't necessarily think that like the Sermon on the Mount equals the Sermon on the Plain. I think he preached the same ideas twice, but in the Sermon on the Mount, he expands them. Here's what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. When it comes to this whole idea of being poor, he says this, blessed are you who are poor, anybody know? In spirit. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit because yours is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit, what's that? Well, it means to be spiritually poor. 
So I give a lot of money to the church? No, this is not that sermon. Okay, everybody relax. No, it's, it's, it's talking about understanding that when it comes to your ability to spiritually make yourself okay, you don't have any ability to make yourself okay. Like if there's some kind of, you know, uh, coin or some kind of, uh, you know, amount of spiritual collateral that you have that you can somehow pay off and balance out your sin. If if that's your idea of, of what it is, to be atoned to God, to be reconnected to him. I just have to be good enough. I just have to balance the scale, make sure my good things outweigh my bad things. We call that karma, right? If you have this kind of, uh, you know, this mindset that I can do that on my own, then you're, first of all, dreadfully wrong. And, and secondly, you need to stop thinking that and then admit, humbly admit that I got nothing. That's hard for us to do, isn't it? Anybody ever, like, given the impression that you know more than you know? None of us, right? Anybody know why you do that? Why you'll actually lie to people like your parents or friends or wife or husband? You'll you'll keep up the facade that you're smarter than you are. You know why you do that? Because you're proud, just like me. You don't want someone to think that you don't have it, whatever it is. And so you'll put on airs, right? And there's been... Too many people throughout history that when they come face-to-face with the gospel that Jesus preaches, they're like, oh, I can't possibly be. You can't be talking about me. I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm, I'm an upright lady. I've done everything that you require of me. But Jesus makes it very clear here. You want to know what it is to be in the kingdom of God? You've got to understand that you're poor. He, he goes and he, he says this, woe. He says, woe to you. Conversely, who are rich. Those of you who think you got it all figured out spiritually. Those of you who don't need God at all, woe to you. It's going to be bad. Why? Well, because in this life, in, in, in this idea that you have, you've already received your full reward. Your consolation is completely yours. There is, and Jesus is what he's saying, there's no future reward for you. Why? Because you're going to miss out on my kingdom. You're not only missing out on it now, you're going to miss out on it in the future when you leave this planet. Why? Because you never got to the point where you had thought you had to do anything about your sin. An older brother saw his little brother hanging out in his sandbox. His little brother loved to play with the matchbox cars, and he'd made an entire town, you know, with uh, Tupperware from his mom's, you know, uh, kitchen and just had all these great things set up. He just created an entire world and he was just busily playing there in his sandbox. For those of you who aren't familiar with sandboxes, back before there were screens, we used to have to like play with dirt and uh... so the older brother being like any older brother decides he's going to ruin his little brother's day and he grabs a cinder block on the side of the house and he walks over the sandbox and he goes I wasn't supposed to bounce like that. <laughs> Thanks, bro. And it makes a mess of the sandbox. Little big brother just walks away. What's up with big brothers? What's their problem? Anybody know? Just ruining little brother's days left and right. Walks away feeling pretty proud of himself. Doesn't realize that his dad was watching from the window. We'll get back to that at the end of the story. 
His dad knows he's going to deal with the older brother, but he stops before going out to rescue the younger brother and just waits, watches from a distance. Little brother, uh, he's like three or four years old. He's just a little tyke. Probably doesn't weigh as much. Most center blocks weigh about 36 pounds. I looked it up. Probably doesn't even weigh as much as a center block he's trying to move. He can't move it. Tries his, his little fat fingers, you know. All they're doing is getting scraped up around the rough edges of the center block. He tries kicking it. Smart kid, so he even gets a stick. He's going to use it as a lever, you know, against the side of the sandbox. But nothing works. Can't move it. Finally, in just absolute dejection, he just crumples into the corner of his sandbox, and that's when Dad decides to move. Dad comes out of the sandbox and sees his son crying there in the corner. He says, buddy, what happened? That stupid other son of yours. He threw this cinder blocks in my sandbox. Cinder block in your sandbox. Man, that's horrible. Have you been able to move it? No, I've not been able to move it. Have you tried? Of course I've tried. I used a cantilever. Smart kid. <clears throat> Dad says, man, wouldn't it be great if you knew somebody who could pick that thing up for you? Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> and then the kid's little brain starts cranking. And through his tears, he looks up at his dad and he says, wait a minute. I saw you pick that block up the other day. You could pick that up. Dad, you pick it up. You, pick, you, you take it out of my sandbox. And dad says, oh, buddy, I was just waiting for you to ask. He reaches down, and his big old dad power hands kind of flexes a little bit as he's walking. <laughs> Sets the block where it was, turns to his son and says, Buddy, have a good day. I'm going to go find your brother. <laughs> right? I think that's a pretty apt description of what happens when we allow God the Father to get involved with our sin as he directs us to God the Son and his sacrifice on the cross. We understand that we in and of ourselves can do nothing about our sins, but Jesus, Jesus through his sacrifice, through his resurrection, can take our sins, throw them as far as the east is from the west, and we're done. We stand clothed in his righteousness. That's the goodness of our God, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated his love for us. And that's what has to happen for the Christian life to begin. But it's what has to happen for the Christian life to have the quality it's meant to have. You want to have life and have it to the full like Jesus described? Everybody knows the key to that, right? It's, it's number one on the combination lock. Remember that you're poor. Stay spiritually humble. Don't shake an angry fist in the face of God and say, You should have. You could have. You didn't. Say, God, not my will but yours be done. That's, that's what leads to the quality in the Christian life. Second thing, live hungry for Jesus. Live hungry for Jesus. Look what he says next. He says this, blessed are you, again, happy, contented, uh, fulfilled are you who are hungry now. Not in the future, now. For you shall in the future be satisfied. He goes on and he says this in verse 25. He says, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. What's this about? Some of you are getting close to lunch. You're like, I'm kind of hungry. Maybe I'm blessed, right? 
Is he talking about the physical? No, he's talking about the spiritual. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, man, blessed are you if you understand that you're a, a wretched sinner with no hope of saving yourselves. Great. But blessed are you if you understand that and you choose by God's grace to do something with him about it. Here's what we say here at our church all the time. You've heard me say it. Say it with me if you know it. It's okay not to be okay. Here at Bay Life Church, it is totally okay not to be okay. If you are a hot mess, join the rest of us. We're all hot messes. You'll just make the hot mess hotter, right? Because we're all, we're all, listen, we're all the first thing. We're all poor in spirit. Every one of us is broken. And every one of us needs, is either needing a Savior or we found him. And he's ours, right? Does anybody remember what I say at the end of that statement? It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. Here's the great thing about our God. He loves us so much that even in our hot mess, he comes to us and extends his grace to us through Jesus Christ. We receive by faith that salvation. But does it end there? No, that's just the beginning. Because that salvation, you know what comes next is this process called sanctification. He wants to make us over like so many of the reality TV shows. He wants us to become something new. He wants to transform us by the renewing of our mind. He wants to take us from where we were to where we could be in life with him. Now, what does that require? Well, you can't just sit here in church every Sunday and do nothing. You know, that's one of my greatest fears as a pastor. I preach my brains out to you every week, and you do absolutely nothing with it. It's my greatest fear for myself. I go to the Word and study it constantly, and it comes back void. Why? Because I was a hearer and not a, I was a listener, but it never became real in my life. How are you doing with that? You know, it's a mark of being a member of the kingdom, is that you're hungry for Jesus. In the, in the, in the text in Matthew, it says that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want to be like him. And so <laughs> when, when, we, when we sense his calling on our life, we don't wait. We don't put him off. We don't say, tomorrow I'll get to that. We don't, we don't say, yeah, I know it's an area of my life I need to improve, but we'll get to that some other year. We say, no, okay, let's do this. By your grace. Like, I don't even feel strong in this, God, but I know when I am weak, you are strong. And by your grace, I'm going I'm to be a new man. I'm going to be a different kind of husband. I'm going to be a better wife. I'm going to love I want to change because I know it's what's honoring you and I know it's what's best for me. Eight o'clock on Friday night, I decided I was going to change the taillight in the back of my truck. I don't know why. I had one of those Fridays. Anybody ever have one of those Fridays where you just don't really want to move? I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not, you know, against that. I think that's probably good every once in a while. And so this past Friday, that was that Friday. I accomplished zero. Just did nothing. It was my day off. I ignored my house that we're trying to work on because it's in permitting process, and I was like, look it. And so I just, I just did nothing. Felt great, except at the end of the day, I felt like I've got to do something. I lived a, you know, a day on this planet. I've got to do something. So for me, my something was I'm going to change. I've been, it's been bugging me. The taillight's out in my truck. I've got to change it right now. So at 8 o'clock, I start driving looking for auto stores. Uh, at 8.15, I pulled into Pet Boys. Uh, if you're looking to fix your taillight at 8 at 15 on any night, don't go to Pet Boys. They close at 8, just so you know. And then don't, they, they always make it look like they're open. There's always cars in the lot. There's people in there, and you go up to the door, and it's like, you know, anybody ever have that? And you're like, ah, you know. So I got back in the car, and 
started about driving down the 60 some more, and there was AutoZone turned in, open till 9. Cha-ching. I go in there, very nice guy, helps me find the part. I get the headlights, and, uh, the, the, the bulbs, and I head back to my house. And listen, I don't know if you've heard me talk about home improvement things. I don't go about it the wisest way, okay? So I didn't think to, like, pull my car into my garage where I could see everything by the light of my garage. I just pulled one of my cars up behind my, t- my, my truck, and I turned the headlights on. Right, and you can't really see. And then eventually the headlights, they turn off on these automatic cars now. So, like, I didn't, I didn't like, account for that. So I'm, like, unscrewing the bolt, and the lights go out. Ah, you know, and so, so then I go inside, and I got one of those Spelunkin helmet headlight things. <laughs> and I put that thing on, and I'm out there in the mid- middle of my, you know, dark driveway, you know, trying to change. And so can't find the right socket to fit. I mean, what should have taken five minutes for a normal male took me 35. Are you with me? But guess what? I did it. Yeah, thank you. Applaud the 45-year-old for changing a bulb. Thank you very much. But you know what I did after I did it? I just stood there at the back of my truck, and I had the fob from my truck, and I just went, beep, 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 because when you do that, you know the lights blink, right? And I just kept watching my lights blink, because before when I did that, that light didn't blink, but I just kept going, oh, yeah, 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 blink again, blink again. And I had this incredible sense of accomplishment. Now, here's the deal couple things, because uh, I'm likening this, if you haven't figured out, to the whole Christ life. We're supposed to strive. And here's the deal. So many times, like when I go to fix something, taillight or otherwise, I get, I get to the first hurdle and I just stop. Like if I had gotten to Pet Boys and it was closed, I'd been like, God's will, I'm not doing it. Right? When two blocks down the road, another store is, are you with me? So here's my thing. Listen, if you're going to live this Christ life, push through the barriers, will you, please? If Pet Boys is closed, go to AutoZone. And keep working on the things that needs to be fixed in your life, right? But then the second thing is this. Guess what's going to happen in like five years to my taillight? I'm going to have to change it out again. Has anybody noticed that about the Christ life? The stuff you figured out like 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago, doesn't it just keep kind of cropping up? Seriously, we're going to have the same argument again, my wife and I? I'm going to be the same dirt ball that I was the first time we had this argument? I thought I'd be done with this. I thought I'd have the flesh conquered. I thought we'd have this figured out. Huh? There's, there's a strength, there's a pull in that old man in there. And sometimes we fall back. And sometimes we've got to relearn the same lessons over again. Sometimes we've got to renew our minds. I mean, not sometimes, a lot of the time, most of the time. We're not learning new things. We're just learning the old stuff we forgot. Isn't that the Christ? That's the Christ life. To constantly be striving. To recognize I'm poor in spirit. I blew it again. I'm hungering for you. And I want to honor you in this in my life. The third thing is this. Repent. Look what Jesus says. He says, listen, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. He goes on, he says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Whoa, hey. Sounds like Jesus got all like crusty, kind of curmudgeon right? No smiling! In the Christ life in the kingdom, there is no laughter. Just cry, 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 cry. Anybody go to that church? I kind of grew up in one of those. That's not true. Who would laugh after church? But during church, no, mm-hmm. very serious. Uh, 
Does anybody think that God's saying you, you can't have a good sense of humor? I think God's got a great sense of humor. Let's all go look at the mirror. Can everybody go look at the mirror and, and just agree that God has a great sense of humor? Look at us, right? I'm in on the joke. I get it. Look at this. Yeah. God's not speaking out against humor. I think he's got a great sense of humor. What he's speaking out against, though, is a passivity that often creeps in when it comes to sin, when it comes to him. I mean, anybody agree that that might be a problem in the church? That people kind of get their fire insurance, make a decision for Christ, and then just like, meh. Just get all kind of passive with them. Just kind of laugh off. Yeah, my sin's there, but <laughs> pass me another beer, right, or whatever. I always pick on alcoholics, sorry. It could be anything, right? Because we'll just, you know, God loves me anyway. I'll do what I want. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, no, man. When it comes to sin, you know what should happen in the heart of every Christ follower? Your heart should break. And not just over the sins of other people. Most of us, you know, that's our, you know, we'll wave signs and, you know, whatever, get fired up about other people's sins. But when it comes to our sins, we're kind of soft on us, aren't we? That's okay, Mark. You tried, right? Stay in there. Grace, 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 right? You know what God wants? God wants us to be ser- as serious about sin as he is about sin. You think God's serious about sin in our lives? So you just kind of up there being like, oh, silly clay. There he goes again. Yeah, is that what he's doing? No. Oh, sin breaks his heart. He still loves you, but it breaks your father's heart. I used to sing a song in the youth group that I was a part of. Uh, It went like this, break my heart with the things that break yours. It was this cry, this prayer to God. Hey, God, bring me low. Bring me sorrow over the things that bring you sorrow. Help me to be serious about what you are serious about. And then lead me away from the things that break your heart. That's what repentance is. Some people, they don't understand repentance. And that's what, that's what we're talking about. When he's talking about mourning, he's talking about not just being sorry for your sin. Sorry you got caught for your sin, which is what most of us feel. Sorry I got caught, God. <laughs> like we, like, like, like here, here's what I'll qualify it. Some people, they think repentance is regret. You know, this whole sorry I got caught or this, you know, I'm sorry for the, the consequences that sin has brought my life. I'm, re- I'm regretful over the bad stuff that has happened to me. But they stop there. They, they're the people who come in there, they're, they're not okay, and they don't care about be getting okay. Because woe is me, I'm, uh, uh, my sin's bad. No, that's, that's regret. Our call is to repentance, not regret. Repent. Repentance takes into account our regret. It's the start of our sin process and us being sorry for our sin. But, but it also says, hey, listen, I take seriously my sin, and I'm not going to do it again by the grace of God. Anybody paying the dumb tax on something? Anybody know what the dumb tax is? That's that price you pay for doing something boneheaded in your life. And, and, and that, that price was so high that you're like, I'm not doing that again. There's no way I'm going back there. By the grace of God, I relinquish that in life. Now, thankfully, there's lots of areas where that happens. Unfortunately, there are some areas where that's a little bit tougher to do. Anybody with me? Areas of addiction, areas where there's strongholds in your life, bitterness, anger, deceit, 
spin the wheel, pick yours. Those things are hard to deal with. But what does God's call for our life in those areas too? Not just the easy ones, the tough ones. Repent. Go and sin no more, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who understand that if you laugh now, you're going to cry later. You know what I thought about when I was thinking about that or reading through that passage in Scripture? I thought about the people outside the ark. Remember the story in Genesis where Noah builds an ark? And who's, what's everybody doing around Noah? The most, Moses. Did I just say Moses built the ark? All right. Noah built the ark. Whatever, what's everybody doing outside the ark when Noah's building the ark? What are they doing? They are laughing their ever-loving heads off at the moron who's building a boat in the desert. Does it rain here, Noah? Kind of arid. Mocking. Until when? Until the first drop of rain, right? I think a lot of people are like, ooh. <laughs> Haven't seen that before. Most scholars believe they hadn't seen rain before. It was just something they, did, they, they had no concept of. So when Noah said, it's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights, they're like, what is this rain you speak of? But then the door shut, right? And now it's raining. And now it's up to their ankles. And now it's up to their waist. And now they're treading water. Anybody laughing anymore? Um, I love to focus on grace, but there's a very real truth to the gospel that if you reject the gospel, it is to your destruction. You're going to drown in your sin. You're going to be kept outside of the kingdom. I'm not a hellfire brimstone guy, but that stuff's real. And the longer you keep Jesus at arm's length, <laughs> the easier it's going to be to, for you to keep laughing at your sin, to keep laughing at his solution. So if you want to be in the kingdom, you've got to know that you're poor. You've got to be hungry for Jesus. You've got to be willing to repent of your sin, to be broken by your sin and move in the other direction. The last thing is this. You've got to stand firm for him. Jesus told this parable about a bunch of seeds that got sown. How many of those seeds took? There was four seed sowns. Anybody know how many, just one of them actually lasted and brought forth a harvest, right? There's this concept, I don't mean to be again, you know, this alarmist, but there's this idea that a lot of people, and I think even in our church this is true, there's a lot of people who think that they're Christian because they hang out with people who are or they come to a church where he's, you know, Jesus has talked about a lot. But when push comes to shove, and if you've ever, you know, been challenged for your faith, you kind of, well, you cower, you head the other direction. It's not something you're going to really risk much for. And in those times, you're kind of finding out how much your faith really means to you, or if you have any, because you're unwilling to put it on the line for Jesus. Throughout the Scriptures, the, the writers of the Scriptures talk about perseverance being a sign of our true faith. And by the grace of God, you, you were all born, in, most of us were born into America, where persecution isn't that prevalent. We're just, we're just not familiar with it. You know, it's the land of the free. Home of the brave, right? And we just don't face it that much. None of you had to, like, you know, worry about snipers coming here this morning, I hope. <laughs> That'd be a bummer if, you, if they're out there. 
But, uh, but you know, there's parts of the world where that is the case. That if you profess your faith, like today, not back then, back then too, but today in some of these um, war-torn and uh, crazy people-led areas in life, uh, you, you profess Christ, you're, you're going to pay. They're going to take your head. They're going to burn your business. They're going to, you're going to just disappear. Put yourself in those situations. How's your faith then? How's mine? Is this something we die for? It's funny, the 12 that Jesus just conferred discipleship on, the 12 that were called, guess what? Every one of them died for their faith. But that was a sign of their, of their truly being in the kingdom. They stood firm. Here's how Jesus phrases it. He says it this way. He says, blessed are you when people hate you. <laughs> blessed are you when they exclude you and they revile you and they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Now, that's really important that he puts it in there because some Christians will be like, oh, good, I get to be the biggest jerk that I can, and if people hate me, bingo, blessing, right? Uh, that's not what this is saying. Uh, it's saying if you are hated because of me, not because you're a jerk, but because of me, well, then, then a blessing is yours. He goes on, and he, this, is one of the t- this is one of the blessings that he expands on in both sermons, in the Sermon on the Mount and here in the Sermon in Luke. He spends his most time talking about persecution. He says, rejoice in that day. On the day that you're persecuted, go to your diary. Post it on Facebook. Great day. Got punched in the face for Jesus. He says, don't stop there. Go out in the street and do cartwheels. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. Make much of the fact that you were brought low, persecuted, uh, harmed for your faith. Make much of that, for behold, your reward is what? Great. In heaven. In the kingdom to come, that's the stuff that that I'm going to get excited about. You being persecuted in my name, man, your reward is going to be great when we get to the kingdom to come. He says the fathers fathers here of Israel, (laughs) they rejected the prophets. That's basically what he's saying. They hated the prophets. I send them prophets over and over again. And they would persecute them, cast them out, beat them, flog them, sometimes kill them. They're going to do that. Jesus doesn't say that here, but he says it in another place. They're going to do that to me. They're going to kill me. Blessed are you if you're persecuted like I've been persecuted. He said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. He goes on and he says this about the woes. He says, woe to you then when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. There were these prophets who weren't sent from God who said all the things that everybody wanted them to say tickled the ears of the people. And guess guess how the people felt about them? Oh, we love that guy. Jimmy the prophet who says it's okay if I have a wife and still sleep with all these other people. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, Jimmy. Right? And Jimmy would go home and be like, that's right, everybody here loves me. Everybody thinks I'm great. He had bowed to the idol of uh, acceptance on the human plane. Here's what I'm here to tell you. Uh, My acceptance uh, by you even should not be the goal of my pastoral ministry. I mean, I hope you like me, but I don't care if you don't because my mission is to honor God and to tell you his word and to lead you into the life that you're supposed to to live. 
like me or not, that's what I'm here to do. Hey, if people like you or not, is that what you're here to do in their lives? I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm not talking about bullhorns at workplaces. I'm just talking about standing up for what's true. Standing up for who Christ is. We buried a, you know, it was a little while ago that she died a couple weeks, but we had her memorial service here on, on Saturday. Uh, her name was Dee, Dee Finke. She used to sit right there with her husband, John. And uh, for four years, they came here and led life groups. She finally lost her battle to cancer. Uh, if you knew Dee, uh, you knew about Jesus because Dee would introduce herself, and then she talk, she, she just worked Jesus into the conversation. And it wasn't weird. Anybody ever met someone that feels it's kind of forced? With Dee, it was just like she loved God so much, it just oozed out of her. She put it on her business cards. She worked for the city of Tampa. On her business cards, she put D-L-U-V-J-C. D-L-U-V-S-J-C. D, her name, loves Jesus Christ. And she put it on there because people would, what would they do with the business card? What's this mean? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Right? She didn't get that from a church. She didn't get that from me. She just did that because that's D, right? That should be our attitude. Should be our mindset. That Jesus over the approval of all. Jesus over the approval of, of, of man anywhere. I live for him and I stand for him. So, we're going to go feed the bay. What's this got to do with that? Well, this life that we live, for Christ we live. Staying humble. Remember that we've got nothing. This life we live, we live for him. Serving him. And how did Jesus serve? Man, he gave of himself. Anybody remember he fed 5,000? And he didn't like, you know, take an offering. I guess you can count the five loaves and the two fish. That was kind of an offering. But he did pretty cool things with that, huh, right? But he never required anything of anybody. He just served selflessly, expecting nothing in return. That's why we do Feed the Bay, because what Jesus did. And if we're going to follow him, we're going to do the things that he did. So may you and I now stay empty. Not making much of ourselves, knowing that spiritually we're poor. May you and I follow Jesus, do the things that he did. Not grow weary in doing those things, doing good, honoring him always. May you and I take sin seriously, deal with it, change, move away from it to the glory of God. May you and I stand firm when the persecution comes. May not be here yet. I'm, I'm guessing this generation is going to face it more than the last generation has. Be ready. And always choose Christ over the people of this world. God bless us in that. Let me pray for that. And then we'll do the cheer. Cool? All right. God, thanks so much. Lead us to your best. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.